Let's pray. Father, we, as we come before you right now, we're inviting you to speak into our lives. Lord, would you, in your mercy, reveal your heart to us in ways that perhaps we haven't seen in the past. Give us glimpses of what you're asking of us as a body and as individuals. Lord, we're trusting that you are ultimately at the helm of all that we do individually and congregationally. And Lord, we're asking that you would lead and guide even here today. Lord, speak into our lives as in ways that only you can because you are faithful. Lord, have your way in us today. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I know that in context, this is talking about um, not being worried about where food and clothing and that kind of stuff, our needs, if you will, are going to come from, all right? But if we look at it just in that context, don't worry. I think we missed the bigger picture. Seek first God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make him the priority. And so we're going to talk some about that, and you'll understand why that's important as we go through this this morning. This past Saturday, as in a week ago, the, uh, and my apologies, um, I don't have PowerPoint this morning, sorry, um, He's kind of winging it over there with scriptures that I, I just didn't have enough time. If you guys want to fire me, feel free, but I'm just letting you know, okay? So uh, a week ago, we had our, our, our annual planning meeting as elders. Um, it's been a, a thing that we've done for quite a while. We, we spent a lot of time praying individually before that, as well as in our weekly meetings, and then come together and pray and worship and just talk about what, what, do, you, what do you see as, as God's plan is his what are his priorities for us as a congregation and so so we did that um, meeting last week and so I'm going to share some of that with you but I need to tell you that yesterday as I was reading back through uh, what I had written especially in this first section uh, this is a little disclaimer right here I had this idea that some people could in what I'm about to share with you could get the idea that I'm about to say something that's really big some big announcement that everybody's going to get people upset no I am not doing that all right I'm just trying to uh, calm you here right away because I'm not going to do that what I am going to do is I'm going to lay a foundation that I think is important for us to recognize for long-term life together if you will all right so if I say something, you're going, uh-oh, what does that mean? Don't, don't try to read anything into it, okay? It, it's not about any big announcement that's about to happen. It's about, I'm just trying to lay a foundation for us, okay? Just, and probably I shouldn't have even said that. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Prior to the meeting, uh, several of us read the book, Is That Really You, God, by Lauren Cunningham. In case you don't know, Lauren Cunningham is the guy that started YWAM, and the, the book, is, is That Really You, God?, is really Lauren's testimony, I guess, of how YWAM came into being, and it's a, it's a great story, uh, but more, it's, it's really his learning to discern the voice of God. What are you speaking to me, Lord? And hence the title, Is That Really You, God?, and interestingly, throughout the book, he um, he tells not only the good stories, but also the bad. He, he tells how he got it right, but also how he missed it. Um, and one of the, 
the things that I thought was interesting was early on in YWAM when they tried to buy a ship, they had this sense that they were supposed to have a, 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 a ship for doing mercy kind of things. And for those of you that aren't familiar, the, the ministry mercy ships actually came out of YWAM years later, all right? But the very first time they tried... They went to buy this ship. They were convinced it was God's leading. It was the right thing to do. They invested tens of thousands of dollars into it. Um, they even spent countless man hours cleaning it up, repairing all of this kind of stuff, only to have the whole thing fall through because they couldn't get all of the money. And it was a pretty sad chapter in... And as I recall, it was like a two-year process. So it, was a, it was a big deal, but it was a pretty sad chapter in the whole ministry at that point. And I think one of the things that I took away from that book, maybe the biggest thing that I took away from that book, is that hearing of God's voice can be pretty subjective. Now, you guys have heard me use that term before when I've contrasted the objective hearing of God's voice in his written word, what he wrote down for us, versus the subjective, the, God, what are you saying to me in this situation here right now? And we always want to make sure that the objective outweighs the, the subjective. And so what I'm saying in some of this is, is, is when leaders try to discern what God is asking for a whole bunch of people together, it's not unusual for them to get it wrong. And don't try to read anything else into that, okay? I'm not, not about to apologize. I'm just, I'm laying some foundations that I think are important for us to recognize, okay? Every leader, except for Jesus, every leader in the Bible that I see is flawed. They're a, a human being that is sinful. And so we're never going to get it all right. So I'm going to share with you in just a few minutes what, I, what, what we believe is what God is is guiding us for in a, as a congregation for 2018. But please, I want to emphasize that word. We believe. We believe this is correct. We believe it's right. But what's more important is what we know. See, what we know is that God wants us to love him and love one another. That he wants us to seek him first. Everybody with me? He needs to be our first priority. Let me hit this from a little different angle. Some time ago, my friend Steve Fry and I were ministering at a, a retreat setting together, and something that he shared back then has kind of danced around in my head a little bit. That's kind of a weird word picture, isn't it? Um, for, for quite a while. He said that he thinks that we often confuse the words vision and purpose and mission in the church. He said that we tend to use those terms kind of interchangeably, but they are not necessarily the same. And Steve, in that context, he mentioned that he had been invited to speak to a group of 70 ministry leaders. These 70 guys were in charge of over a thousand churches. So this is a pretty big deal. And they had for two years been meeting together, coming together just to, to relate to one another, to build relationship and pretty regularly. And so at, at one of those meetings, after a couple of years of meeting like this, one of the guys said, okay, we've been meeting for two years. We, we've been, been relating together. What are we going to do? What's our vision? And at that point, Steve said it seemed like the, all of the air was just sucked out of the room because in that setting, how should vision be dis, dis, de, determined, discerned? Who, who gets to set that? And the fact is, I think that 
that type of vision, what we're going to do, no matter how well-intentioned, no matter, no matter how God-inspired, is a very difficult thing. Because it's always, not always, but it's often, very often, I think, going to be divisive. Think of, think of Moses in the Old Testament with the Israelites. Remember, he knew exactly what God had said for the people to do. They didn't really want to hear it. And they certainly didn't want to follow it. Are you with me? So in articulating a vision of that type of what we're going to do, I think that can be really challenging. But what if, what if vision isn't what we do, but who we are? See, most vision statements, whether it's a, a church or a business, and I've been involved in both, most of them have elements of what we're going to accomplish we're going to do this thing. We're going to accomplish this goal. We're going to build this whatever. So if vision is what we're doing, our achievable goals, if you will, then what happens when someone's performance causes us to not be able to achieve that goal? And there can be any number of reasons for that happening. A poor attitude, a lack of motivation, poor performance, just straightforward sin, whatever can keep that from coming about. But if that keeps us from achieving the goal, then what? Is the vision done? Is it over? And if so, where does that leave us? After all, if the vision is about performance and we haven't performed, we've failed. But what if vision is about being? Being God's person or God's flock or God's people together. See, Jesus said the two most important things are loving God and loving one another. If vision is actually who we are in Christ rather than what we do. See, if we come at it from that angle, then the, then the great prize, the goal is not just achieving something as worthwhile as that, whatever that achievement might be, but allowing the Holy Spirit to make me and you into the people that he wants us to be. Are you following me? And here's one big reason that I think this is important. When we have that perspective, then if for whatever reason we don't achieve that physical goal or goals that we've set, then it's far less important because those things don't affect the real vision, who we are in Christ. And some may think that I'm quibbling over semantics, but I don't think so. Because if we put mission, what we do, ahead of vision, knowing and loving God, then I think we've got the whole thing backward. We should seek first God and his kingdom. Are you with me? If we go after mission, what we do, as primary, apart from God working in us, I think we're aiming at the wrong target. And my point here is, which of those two targets is first and foremost? Not just in theory, but in practice. See, if anybody were to ask anybody in this room, what's most important, really knowing God or achieving some great thing, every one of us will give the same answer. It's knowing God. We get that. But do we really practice that? Is it just theory or is it reality? Think about it. I've encountered... As I've traveled, I've encountered a lot of churches who ended up 
when there was a disagreement about something, they ended up throwing out all of those clear mandates of God's word about loving him and loving one another. And I think that's missing it. If we ever end up dividing over the subjective, are you with me? We have clearly erred. So with all of that as a backdrop, these are the areas that we believe God wants us as a congregation to focus on this year. They're in your notes. Uh, knowing God as he really is, recognizing who you are in Christ, and activating the gifts that God has given you, including hearing his voice. And I know they're in opposite order on your sheet. Um, and I did it this way. When we actually, in our meeting last Saturday, when we came up with the, those three phrases, those three words, knowing, recognizing, activating, um, we put knowing at the bottom because that's really the foundation. It's not that it's less important, it's the foundation, okay? But when we did that, somebody pointed out that then those three words, the first letter spells ark, which is kind of oddly interesting. Um, but then somebody pointed out that if we put them in the other order and added a few more, we could spell my last name, which is even weirder. So I, nothing, nothing magical, of, sorry, nothing magical about that. Was that you that, <laughs> Steve's like, I don't know, was it? So let's just talk about, the, because we, we, we see these as, as priorities for us for this year. Let, let, me, let me just flesh these out a little bit for us. Knowing God as he really is, and it's important to have that as he really is in there. Obviously, God is a spirit. And except for 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, God rarely manifests himself in a physical way, what theologians would call a theophany, all right? So if we are going to relate to him, then we need to relate to him on a spiritual basis. And honestly, if we're relating to him on a spiritual basis, we're going to relate to the spiritual God. It is a lot easier to relate to him in ways that we like rather than as he really is. See, we can't do that with human beings. My wife cannot tell people that her husband is six foot two, has dark wavy hair, and has lots of muscles because I know her husband and he's not any of those things, all right? So when we're relating to a physical person, we can't just kind of make stuff up that we like. But when we're relating to a spiritual God, we actually have that ability and we have a tendency to do that. We really like the fact that he is gracious, that he is loving, that he is kind. Those are good things. We want that God that is kind and caring. And don't get me, get me wrong, I'm not saying he's not. But see, what we, do, what we do in doing that is we leave out the fact that he is just, that he is wrathful. See, we're, we're too sinful. We don't want to know that he is just. We certainly don't want to hear about him taking out his wrath on us. And yet, if we're going to see God as he really is, then those attributes are just as important. We need to recognize that. Now, in this whole idea of talk, talking about knowing God, we are not suggesting that you don't already know God. I would, I would pretty much guarantee there is not a person here in this room that doesn't have a personal relationship with the Lord, all right? So we're not saying that you don't, know him, that you don't have a relationship. But I think if you're honest, you would admit along with me that 
perhaps there's room for improvement in that relationship? Got a couple of maybes. Okay, all right, good, all right. Got the right group here. I was worried there for a second. Um, we, you know, we live in a world that has a tendency to, to, to draw us away from that focus on him. So many things that come in and compete with that. And so we're just trying to bring us back to that first love, if you will. A friend of mine recently was sharing from Philippians 4. I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you know, if, you, if you really think about it, we need to see what Paul isn't saying here. He's not saying that the secret to, to ultimate contentment is having everything figured out. Anybody here besides me like to have everything figured out? That's just me all over it, okay? But that's not what Paul is saying. He, that, that's not the secret to ultimate contentment. He's also not saying that it, it's, it comes about from having a positive attitude. Oh, he does say, I can do all things, but it's through Christ, okay? So it, it's not those things. Paul is telling, in, in what he's saying here, when he says that I have found the secret, what he's saying is there's one secret. There's not a whole bunch of them. There's one, and if there's only one, then it negates all of the rest of the possibilities. Paul is not saying that he can do all things because of his superior intellect, although apparently Paul was a pretty smart guy. He's not saying that he can do all things because of his uncanny ability to problem solve or because of his ability to persuade people or rally people or even to adjust his own attitude. No, what Paul is saying, there's one secret that he's leaving out every other possibility. There is only one. You and I have a tendency to try all sorts of possibilities in there, don't we? But at some point, we need to recognize that all of those other possibilities will ultimately fail unless we find our strength in Christ, in knowing Him and having a, an ever-deepening relationship with Him, then we're sunk. It's Christ. It's not Christ and all these other things. It's Christ. Like the song says, Jesus, only Jesus. Steve Fry said it this way, the way to face the most difficult and painful situation through Christ is to first abandon every other way to deal with it and simply come naked, vulnerable, and exposed fully before Jesus. Lord, without you, we've got nothing to recognize him and him only. Chapter before that, Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Again, I want us to understand what Paul is not saying here. He's not, he's not jettisoning all of his education. He's not saying that my intellect is, is worth nothing, no, he's saying that compared to Christ, knowing Christ, that all that stuff is worth nothing. He's not saying to get rid of all of that. He's saying that this is so much superior. That has to be the focus. It reminds me of the, uh, the revival in Tallinn, Estonia. I can't even recall how many people told me as I was studying that revival that so many things in their lives just got kind of pushed to the side as they intentionally chose to seek God because everything else just kind of paled in comparison. Wasn't even close. How badly do we want to know him? I mean, honestly. Charles Spurgeon, in talking about the parable of the sower, he said it like this. In the parable, the seed in one case fell upon ground having a rocky bottom, covered over with a thin layer of earth. 
When the seed began to take root, its downward growth was hindered by the hard stone, and therefore it spent its strength in pushing its green shoot aloft as high as it could. But having no inward moisture derived from root nourishment, it withered away. He asks, is this my case? Have I been making a fair show in the flesh without having a corresponding inner life? Good growth takes place upwards and downwards at the same time. Wow, what a great statement to really know him and go deep in him. I recently was reading uh, 1 Samuel. If you've been taking notes or paying attention to details in my sermons, you know that two times ago that I preached, I mentioned that uh, I talked quite a bit out of the, the book of Judges. Uh, last time I talked quite a bit out of the book of Ruth. I've been going through those uh, historical sections of the Old Testament. There are huge sermons in so many of those things. Um, just great lessons for us. But I, I was reading, just the, the other day, I was reading 1 Samuel chapter 30. David's leading his guys. This is before he's king. They're coming back. They're coming back to the city where they live, Ziklag. And when they get back to their home, the city has been burned and all of their wives and children have been kidnapped 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 4 through 6. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Stop there. I want you to try to imagine this scene. David and his 600 guys are coming back home. I don't know about you, but for me, coming back home is a big deal. When I'm gone for a, a weekend or for any kind of, of trip, I love coming back home. Not just to, to family, although obviously that's the main thing, but also just to that sense of this is, this is home. This is where I live. I can kind of relax. And so David and his guys are on their way back. And probably from a distance, they see smoke. And maybe it starts to dawn on them that that's smoke from where our village is. And I'm guessing that David and some of his guys just took off running. And maybe all the other ones joined in. And they crested the hill right there before the village and they stopped. And there is every home smoldering and not a person in sight. What do you do in that situation? What is that like? And David would have been right there with him because his two wives are gone and we're not going to at this point talk about the rightness or wrongness of David having more than one wife. But the fact is that the people that he loved the most here on earth had been taken. The fact is that David actually probably suffered more because all of his men are wanting to stone him. He's the guy in charge. This shouldn't have happened. Everybody's gone. Does it say they wept until they had no more strength to weep? Can't imagine what that's like. What do you do in that situation? And it says David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And I will guarantee that had David not had that deep, intimate relationship with the Lord, he couldn't have done it. He wouldn't have done it in that situation. And then he goes on and he asks God, if you keep reading the next couple of verses there, Lord, what, what, what am I supposed to do here? What, what are we going to do? And if you 
know the story, they went and they took back the people that had been captured. Every last one of them came back. You know, we know that David wrote Psalm 27. I don't know that it was a response to this 1 Samuel chapter 30 thing going on here, but if you read the words, it sure sounds like it could be. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. What does it sound like? He's, he's strengthening himself in the Lord. One thing have I asked of the Lord, this will I, that will, will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Keeps going on from there, but sure sounds to me like David strengthening himself in the Lord right there. We need to know God like that to make him our first priority, to know him that deeply. Like I said, they went and brought back all of the, every last one of the people that had been captured. Daniel 11.32, it says, the people that know their God shall stand firm and take action. New King James says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I like the Living Bible on this one. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great things. Do you want to be strong? You want to do great things? There's a prerequisite. You have to know God. <coughs> Not long ago, I, uh, I took a personal prayer retreat. And after I came back, I told a few people, I, I realize every single time that I do that, why, I think more deeply every single time, why Scripture tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Because we need that time just to draw aside, to know him, to know his heart. So practically speaking, we're going we're gonna to propose some new prayer initiatives for our congregation. We'll talk about some of those this afternoon at the family meeting. But suffice it to say at this point that we're going to make God, knowing God as he really is, our first priority for this year. Second is recognizing who we are in Christ. And I talked about this quite a bit a, a couple of weeks ago when I preached. If you remember, I talked about the, the God that restores and redeems and renames and resurrects. You have a new identity in Christ. You are not a failure. You are not forsaken. You're not abandoned. You're not passed over. You're not any of those things. Jesus laid down his life so that you could find new life in him, so that you could know his mercy, that you could, you could become a child of God, you could become an ambassador of the king of the universe. See, I think too often we have a tendency to live in the same mentality that the Israelites did in the Old Testament. They came out of slavery in Egypt, they had been redeemed, if you will, and yet they still 
maintain that slavery mentality in their heads. And I think you and I have a tendency to do the same thing. We've been given newness of life. We have been transformed into new creatures. We're, we're consistently being transformed, but we still have a tendency to live out of our sin nature mentality. We tend to act like Naomi in the book of Ruth. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Only you and I say, don't call me child of God. Don't, don't call me new creature. Call me sinful. Call me vengeful. Call me mean. Call me ignorant. Call me nasty. Call me vindictive. And God's saying, no. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. How, how many times have we heard words like that spoken by Daryl or others on Sunday morning as we've gathered together? Over and over and over. And I get the impression that maybe God's trying to tell us something. Are you with me? Forget that old identity. Walk in the new identity that he's given us. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're holy. You're, you're completely pure. You're clean in his sight. Think about it. Wouldn't that have to alter how we think and act if we really grasped that truth? If we really did? I mean, the more... I think the more that we understand and recognize who we are in Christ, the more we're going to live our lives out of that perspective. Are you with me? And so that's going to be our, one of our main priorities for this year. And then the third one, activating the gifts that God has given you. You know, from a spiritual perspective, every single one of us has gifts that God has given us to use. We heard about it from Warren this morning. Um, to use for his glory, for the strengthening of his kingdom. And I believe personally that those gifts are a combination of talents and passion um, that God has put, puts within us. Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the son, uh, the, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to, given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, on and on all the things. I want you to think about this. Why did God have Bezalel and Aholiab build the temple. Couldn't, couldn't God have just done it on his own? I mean, he could have just spoken the word and it would have been there, perfect, all done. But he didn't. Instead, he had those guys involved. Why is that? See, I am convinced that he did that for the same reason he had Adam and Eve tend the garden. Same reason he had David kill Goliath. Same reason he has you and me involved in what he's doing because he gives gifts to his people to involve us in what he's doing. He could do it better himself, but he doesn't do that. He gives gifts to his people to involve us in what he's doing. 1 Peter 4.10 is each has received a gift. Use it 
to serve one another. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. No matter what else you might want to say about those passages, it's clear that God has given gifts to people. And he wants us to use them. And he gives different gifts to different people. I mean, that should go without saying. But some people are more, I don't know, some people are more athletically inclined, able. Some people have more artistic abilities. Some people have more administrative kind of gifts. Some people see the, the big picture and don't really think about the, the details. Some people see almost only the details and don't think about the big picture. I mean, we're all different, but all of these are gifts from God that we need to use together. And along with the, the actual abilities, the Lord also plants within us, um, can I say passions? You, you could, you could uh, insert the word inclinations there if that makes you feel better about it. It's the things that excite us, the things that we're, that we're passionate about. Read, read the Bible, read the different writers in Scripture. Every one of them sounds different than the others. God, and that doesn't make it any less inspired. God gave them gifts and ways of looking at things that sets them apart from everybody else. God uses those gifts that he places with inside of those, those passions, those, those ways of looking at things, if you will. Now, let me just give you an example. If you watch a movie, you probably just watch the movie. I, when I watch a movie, I have a tendency to look at camera angles and recognize how that camera angle affects the scene. Some of you are going, you're crazy. Uh, which you already knew anyway. But it's just, it's one of those things that, that I see just naturally, if you will. It fascinates me. It's a way of looking at things that most people don't. Every one of us has things like that. Um, Mike Isaacson, he is the, uh, the, the executive producer for the Muni in St. Louis. Early in his career, he worked for what was then McDonnell Douglas, is now Boeing, as a writer for their publications. He wasn't all that excited about aircraft, but he was a really good writer and he needed a job, so he worked there. And the, the office that he worked at uh, was situated right along the runway at Lambert Airport. And when one of the F-15s or F-18s would take off, a whole bunch of people there in the office would run to the window because they, wanted, they had been involved in creating that, in, in designing that. They're excited about this airplane stuff, okay? These, these jets that are going like 4 billion miles. I don't know how fast they go. Uh, whatever it is. And they're excited about it. Mike's like, I never did that. Because he had other things that excited him. And you know what? Every one of us is the same way. There are different things that trigger stuff inside of each of us. So let me ask you a question. What makes you run to the window? What are the things that inside of you that God has placed there that trigger things inside of you? What are the, the passions, the inclinations that you believe that God has put inside of you? See, it's where talents, and I'm deliberately using that word talents, it's where talents and passions intersect that oftentimes we can identify the real gift of God. See, if, if you're excited about something, but you don't have any real ability for it, that might not be a gift from God. At the same time, if you have a, a knack for doing something, but couldn't care less about it, that might not be a gift from God. But it's where, I believe, it's where those two things intersect 
that we start to see God working in amazing ways. And so we want to help identify some of those things throughout this year in each of us, I want to say you, but also in me, all of us, to allow God to help activate those things. As leadership, um, as, as the elders of the congregation, we believe that our priorities shouldn't be to do everything. Scripture says that God gave leadership to the church uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, all right? So we're not going to do everything. We, we're, we believe that our, our main emphasis should be from Acts 6-4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, now we do realize that for the time being, we may be involved more and more in, more in the, the day-to-day workings of the congregation, what's going on, get that. Um, but our real emphasis as leadership needs to be in prayer and ministry of the word. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't long-term be interested and involved in other things. We're not one-dimensional people just because that's our main priority, prayer and ministry of the word. It doesn't mean we sit around and pray and read the Bible all day long, all right? Um, you know, I, I think, honestly that it's quite probable that Steve Miller is probably going to keep being the principal of the school for a while. I don't know for sure. Um, Wayne DeClue might keep being the head of the security team for a while. I don't know. But our main priorities are going to be prayer and ministry of the word. But there are other people here that have talents and passions for other things. And we're going to help do our best to guide into those other things and activate those gifts. Maybe, maybe you're... I don't know, maybe you've got a, an excitement about seeing the grounds taken care of better and you're re- willing to help with that. Um, that would be great. Maybe, uh, maybe you have a, a real desire to see the, the body of Christ. You've got a, a gift of networking, see the body of Christ uh, at large come together in a greater way. We want to encourage that. Uh, whatever those things might be, we want to help activate those gifts that God has given. And so we're not going to we're not going to push you to do those things, but we are going to encourage those things. And it can be any number of things. You might make a banner. You might take care of kids in the nursery. You might do uh, repair work on the buildings. You might prophesy. You might install or fix plumbing. He didn't see that. You might help take care of the school. Sure, Kevin's not. Oh, might uh, work on heating and air conditioning. Um, you might give a cup of cold water, actually in this weather a cup of hot chocolate might be better, to somebody that in need, whatever it might be, we want to encourage those gifts. We want to see those things activated more and more. The bottom line is that you are a gift and you have gifts and God wants to use those in his kingdom in this place for his glory and for the benefit of one another. So we'll be teaching so that your gifts can be more fully activated, unwrapped and used, if you will, here in the congregation, but also for the benefit of the community around us. And in all of this, it's important that ultimately the gifts are activated in God and by his power. Who is the the gift giver after all? Okay, all right, so... I want to make sure that we understand. So, so again, we're not, going to, we're not going to push you into doing something. We're not going to try, ask you to try to work something up. But there are gifts that God has given that he wants to use. And we want to help bring those about more and more. So we're going to do our best to help activate the gifts that God has given you. And that's going to come about in large measure by recognizing who you are in Christ. And the foundation of that is knowing God as he really is. Now, 
a whale of a lot of ground right there. Let me come back to just one point and kind of make this practical for us here today. I said that our foundation, the beginning place, is knowing God as he really is. And I said that we all could use improvement in that area, and I'm pretty sure you all agreed with that. I want to make sure I, again, got the right group, okay. So think about this. At the end, of, we're, we're, we're two weeks into 2018. At the end of 2018, do you want to be the same place that you are in your walk with the Lord that you are right now? So what are you going to do to make it any different? See, if we keep doing the same things, then we're going to be the same at the end of 2018. So I believe that God is challenging some here to make some changes. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it means that you're going to cut back on the amount of television you watch. Maybe you're going to cut back on video games. Maybe, I don't know. Things that are taking away, and I'm not telling you to stop those things I'm saying maybe God's asking you to cut back on some of those. And it's not just a matter of cutting back because if you just cut back, what that does is it leaves a vacuum. Now we've got this space, this time. So the question is, what is that vacuum filled with? And I would suggest that if we don't fill it with seeking God, of praying, of studying his word, I think we've made a mistake. I can't tell you what God is telling you. I can tell you that if you're doing the same thing at the end of 2018 that you are right now, you're not going to see any difference in your spiritual life. So I just want to challenge you. What does that mean for you? Let's pray. Father, today, we have been challenged by you. Lord, we know that too often we haven't seen ourselves in the way that you want us to, that we have walked too frequently in the old sinful self mentality instead of the newness of life that you have so graciously given us. Lord, that we have too often not used the gifts that you have placed inside of us and that we have too often not seen you as you really are and known you as fully as you want us to. Lord, forgive us, but we ask that you would today and throughout the course of this year help us more and more to know you in the fullness of who you really are and to recognize what that means for us of how you have, have granted to us new life. And Lord, that you have given us gifts to help build your kingdom here on earth. Lord, may those things more and more grip us today and every day for this year. May it be so. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.